Well, good morning. And uh, for our friends and family who are watching by live stream and for those who have been a little bit under the weather and some who have had sickness and illness, our prayers are with you. We love you and we hope to see you soon. In the meantime, um, we will be reaching out to you to see if there's any way we can help you and be an encouragement to you. Well, brothers and sisters, this morning we come back to the topic and theme of God's purity. And we return to the testimony of God's Word about the blessing of God's purity in the lives of His children and in the citizens of His kingdom. We don't typically think of purity as a blessing. We can tend to think of purity as a yoke, as a burden, something I have to live up to. But very clearly when Jesus in Matthew 5 says to his disciples, blessed are the pure in spirit for they shall see God, he is pointing out that purity is a blessing. And it is a blessing very specifically from God for his children. And the purity he's talking about, obviously like we talked about last week, is a different typically purity than what we typically think about and what we talk about. Jesus is first and foremost pointing us to the good news of who the God of the Bible is. That the God of the Bible is the God of all purity and peace. Where purity is often referred to as holiness, that undefiled, undivided, uncompromising, unwavering devotion to the Lord. And peace is also unity, or also referred to as unity, which refers to a unity that is found not in ourselves, but is found in the person and character of the Lord. The person and the character of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, this is what sets the God of the Bible apart. This is, as we said last week, the Trinity. Three gods, no. One God, but three distinct persons who are perfectly united in their perfect devotion and love for one another, but they're also perfectly united in the same substance, in the same nature, and in the same will. Whatever the Father desires, the Son desires. Whatever the Son desires, the Spirit desires. There is no division. They are working together in perfect unity and in perfect love and perfect devotion for one another. And Jesus is pointing out to us, this is the good news of the Bible. This is the God we worship. This is the God who has loved us and saved us for himself. He is not some capricious God who one day feels one thing, the other day feels another, says one thing one day, changes it up, and we're forever trying to figure out where we stand before the Lord. He is the God of all purity and peace, and this is what sets him apart from all the false gods of the world, all the false religions of the world, and all the false self-righteousness of the world. And the good news of God's word is this God freely gives his purity and peace to his children, but he does so in one place and one place alone, and that is in his son, Jesus Christ. And so this purity and peace we're talking about is not something you have to earn or beg or strive for, per se, in our own strength. It is a gift 
that the Lord gives freely, and he delights to give it to his children. But as we said before, it is a costly gift because he gives it in one place and one place alone, and that is in his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, as we consider what purity is, and as we consider the purity that the Lord gives to us, our eyes need to be focused on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the one who shows us what a pure heart is. And our focus this morning is to consider what does a pure heart look like in a very impure world. We live, obviously, in a very impure world. We live in a very impure country. Most of us have been born into and been raised and grown up in very impure churches and impure families. That's just the reality when we come to God's Word. What does it look like then? You know, and we're not going to find out and this is no knock on our families, our churches, or where we've been, but it doesn't come from looking at a pastor. It doesn't come from looking at a church. It doesn't come typically from looking at our parents as hard as they've tried. When we consider what does purity look like in an impure world, and this is where, the, quite frankly, the church has failed so often, setting up, up all these models, all these super saints, all these programs, all these purity drives, and we're looking at all ourselves, and we're just impure. Because when it comes to understanding and appreciating what purity looks like in an impure world, there is one place we have to look, and that's at our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the one who shows us what God's purity and peace looks like in a very, very impure world. And to help us appreciate this truth, to help us appreciate that, in fact, the reason God sent his son into the world is because we lack that purity, and he came to give us God's purity and peace. Well, to help us appreciate this truth, the Lord gave us the Old Testament. In many ways, the Old Testament is there as a foundation to prepare our hearts and to teach us what God's purity and peace is all about so that when Jesus comes, we have some notion or appreciation of this amazing gift that God has given us. And to help us appreciate this truth, the Lord God has given us the God-breathed words of Genesis 39, which is where we're going to spend our time this morning, to the life and the trials of Joseph, the son of Jacob. And this life and this trial that Joseph goes through teaches us about the purity of God here on earth and the power of that purity. And very specifically, it points us to the power of God's purity in Christ. A purity and a power that God freely gives to his children. Now, most of us are familiar with the story of Joseph, the recipient of that amazing Technicolor dream coat, right? Uh, made famous in musicals and, and uh, DreamWorks films for children, and it's all over the place. We're familiar with the story of Joseph. But we often forget that Joseph, like Jesus, was the beloved son of a father who, because he was loved by his father, he was very much hated by his family. By our contemporary definitions, Joseph's family was a dysfunctional family. And that's our contemporary way of describing a family that was very much divided and very much at one another's throats 
and quite frankly, impure and sinful in many, many ways. And yet Joseph is very much and will be a demonstration of what a pure heart in an impure world looks like. And hopefully it'll be an encouragement to all of us because it's not like Joseph really had a head start. Yes, he was loved by his father, Jacob, but all that did was make his life absolutely miserable on the outside and made him the target of jealousy and hatred from his older stepbrothers. And this ultimately is what cuts Joseph off from his family, and this is ultimately what brings Joseph to a place where he is sold into slavery, and he is taken as a slave and sold as a slave in Egypt. So if we think we've had hard times and a reason or an excuse to do the wrong thing, we need to look at Joseph. He had everything going against him. And in Genesis 39, were dropped into the midst of this darkness, the darkness that he has been dropped into. And if you look at the history of slavery in America, if you want to see the history of darkness, there are a few things like this distortion of slavery in an impure world of how predatory, how evil, and how wicked it is and the absolute demonic nature of it. Well, we're dropped into that in Genesis 39. And it is in that darkness that the Lord begins to show us the power of his purity in a very impure world. And the encouraging thing as we walk through this is we begin to see in the Lord showing us that regardless of what the world throws at us, his purity is greater. And the power of his purity is what enables weak and frail victims of abuse and victims of the sins of this world to endure, persevere, and overcome and be used by God to bring his grace and mercy into the world. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Genesis 39, and we are going to read through the entire chapter. Genesis 39, 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of the, his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house, and he put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her. 
to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, not infrequently the Lord uses trials and afflictions to test our faith. He uses trials and afflictions at times to discipline us, and he uses trials and afflictions to refine us, and sometimes to teach us things that he desires us to appreciate and understand about himself. But like Jesus, sometimes the Lord brings trials and afflictions into our lives to reveal the power of his purity that is at work in us as a display of his goodness and his truth and his grace, because that's typically when it shines the brightest. And here we see very much with Joseph, unlike his stepbrothers and unlike his brother Judah, who we read about in the chapter before, Joseph has done nothing wrong. And yet here he is, sold into slavery, first by his stepbrothers, then by his distant cousins, the Ishmaelites, the Ishmaelite traders, the descendants of Ishmael, from which the line and religion of Islam will come. And you should read up on the history of slavery in Islam. It certainly rivals our history in America. But nonetheless, Joseph has done nothing wrong, and yet he has a dog's life. And as he's sold into slavery... He comes into the household of Potiphar, and initially it seems that his fortunes have changed. And it seems that he has success, but it doesn't last long until he enters into the nightmare of predatory sexual abuse and a false accusation of attempted rape that ends in an Egyptian prison. 
Try that one on for size for the prosperity gospel. When we think about this drastic change in Joseph's fortunes, Joseph's life is up and down. But what does not change in Joseph's life is his purity of heart. That remains the same. Joseph, throughout this, as you look at him, from beginning to end, remains undefiled, undivided, uncompromising in his devotion to the Lord. And, in fact, it is this purity that we see in Joseph's heart that the Lord will use, ultimately, to bring his older brothers to repentance, to bring them and give them forgiveness, and ultimately to save his family physically and spiritually. And from the beginning in Genesis 39, Moses shows us where this purity of heart begins. And it does not begin, brothers and sisters, with a purity pledge or an accountability group or a church program. It begins with the purity of God and the purity of God's presence in Joseph's life. And this brings us to our first point this morning. Pure hearts begin with the purity of God's presence in our lives. Pure hearts begin with the purity of God's presence in our lives. Now, not many of you are close to my age, but if you happen to be around in the 80s and the 90s, you got to witness the era of purity pledges and purity rings and the likes of Britney Spears wearing a purity ring given to her by her father as a pledge that she would remain pure until she was married. And Britney Spears, whose father was a youth pastor, doing tours and concerts, promoting purity pledges. And I'm sure if you were a teenage boy in the 90s, you would pledge anything just to be in that room and close to that stage and waving your hand as long as, Brittany, or as long as Jessica Simpson was up there with her microphone singing, right? And we all know how those stories end, don't we? And yet, sadly, brothers and sisters, that is what Christian culture and American evangelicalism celebrates and holds up from promise keepers to all the other things where we get men together or we get people together and they make these promises. And they're all built on this false assumption that we're pure and that we can hold it together and that the power of purity lies in a commitment or a pledge or a promise by you and I. Brothers and sisters, the place we need a promise from is not from us, but a God who is pure. And as we consider what happens in the life of Joseph, we see, and this is borne out by many of the stories of people who have been abused or people who have been in places where they have actually literally been sold or they are slaves. You know, this whole idea of just say no to drugs and these purity pledges, they're based on the assumption that we can remain pure because we can choose, or we have the power, or we have the ability to control ourselves, or the people around us, or our circumstances. But what happens when you're like Joseph, and you have absolutely no control over your circumstances, 
over the people around you or over what people are doing to you. Purity pledges are for the privileged, brothers and sisters. They ain't for the rest of the world in an impure world. And we see as Moses unfolds for us and writes to us about this story of Joseph and his life, he makes that point right from the beginning. He uses passive verbs to describe what happens to Joseph, meaning Joseph isn't in charge or in control. Verse 1, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And he uses this phrase twice, brought him down, or brought down. And Moses is showing us, literally, Joseph is getting taken down. He is being brought down by wicked people. And there is absolutely nothing Joseph can do to stop this. But brothers and sisters, the good news of God's word is, blessed are the poor in spirit. Because there is nothing this wicked world can do to take away Joseph's purity. The purity of heart that he has received from God. And this is because pure hearts belong to the Lord. And this is because true purity begins not with our purity pledges or our accountability groups. It begins with God's presence in our lives. And this is what is emphasized and Moses emphasizes over and over again throughout this narrative. And this is what holds together this entire narrative. This is what lifts Joseph up and this is what enables him to shine in the darkest of places. It's the Lord's presence in Joseph's life. And Moses states that no less than four times and refers to it over and over and over again. He says, the Lord was with Joseph. And then he goes on and says in verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him. And in verse 21, he says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. And then in verse 23, he says, and explains everything, because the Lord was with him. And this phrase, the Lord was with Joseph, originates in the Lord's covenant promises to his people, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to their descendants. In Genesis 17, 8, in reference to Abraham's seed, the Lord says, I will be their God. And the implication is, they will be my children, I will be their God, I will be with them. And then in Genesis 26, the Lord God personally repeats this promise to Isaac, Abraham's son, in case Isaac forgot. In Genesis 26, verse 3, he says, I will be with you and I will bless you. And then in Genesis 28, the Lord God personally repeats this promise to Jacob. In verse 13, he says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Behold, what? I am with you. And then he goes on and explains what God being with him means. He says, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. I will not leave you until I have done what 
I have promised you. And brothers and sisters, this is the purity of God's promise. 100% true, never wavering, undivided, devoted in loyalty. And we bank on it because God stands behind it and He's a pure God. He's going to keep His promises. And in Genesis 31, 3, the Lord God repeats this again to Jacob and He says, I will be with you. And not surprisingly, when God says this, He typically says it at moments when Isaac and Jacob and Abraham are in vulnerable positions where the world is typically ganging up on them or they have the short end of the stick because they've been following God. And from the Old Testament to the New Testament, this is a covenant promise of God that is repeated and fulfilled by the Lord over and over and over again. And it is one of the greatest expressions of the Lord God's pure and holy love for His people. Brothers and sisters, it's the gospel. It's God's undivided, undefiled, unwavering, uncompromising, never-failing devotion to His children. I will be with you. And more than just being present in a life in Scripture, the promise of being with someone is the promise of giving the entirety of your life for that person. It's a promise of giving the entirety of your life to be with that person, regardless of the cost. David and Bonnie are here with us, fresh off their honeymoon. They understand now after they've made that covenant and promise, I will be with you. We talk about our wives and our children. I talk about, I'm with her doesn't mean I'm sitting there on the couch watching TV with her. It's we're together, we're one, and all that I am is with her and for her. And brothers and sisters, that's the promise that God gives his children. Through thick and thin, whatever the obstacles, whatever the ups and downs, the entirety of his life with you and for you. Why? Because he loves, and he loves perfectly. And we see this most clearly in our lives as parents love their children. It's not always true. We live in an impure and ugly world, and it doesn't always happen. But at its best, we see parents where even when their children let them down or sin or break things, yes, they discipline, yes, they speak to them, but their love never wavers, and they are still present in their lives. And brothers and sisters, this is what purity is all about. As we said, it is not first and foremost about abstinence. It's about who we are with and who we're devoted to. And where does the purity begin and end in Joseph's life through all these up and downs? Well, Moses summarizes it at the end of the chapter in verse 21. He says, but the Lord was with Joseph, and then he puts together, and showed him steadfast love. And this is what makes Joseph a success in Potiphar's house, but this is also what brings him into conflict with Potiphar's wicked wife. Make no bones about it, brothers and sisters. If you have a pure heart, you'll have peace with God, but conflict is coming because we live in a wicked world. And this brings us to our second point for this morning. Pure hearts persevere by faith in God's promise. 
Pure hearts persevere by faith in God's promise. How do pure hearts persevere when they come into conflict, when they're, in, in, when they're being attacked, and as we live, let's be honest about it, in a very imperfect and impure world? Well, in verse 6 and 7, Moses shows us it doesn't take long for the purity of Joseph's heart to be tested. It says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, verse 6, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. Now Moses here is drawing a connection. And he draws a connection between what we look at, what we desire and what we covet, and what we pursue. What we look at, what we covet and desire, and what we pursue. And the predatory pattern of an idolatrous heart results here, because that's what this woman is, and that's what idolatrous hearts are, predatory. It results in a command. This is not an invitation. This is not a request. This is not a solicitation. It's not even a seduction. It's a command. Lie with me. And this, brothers and sisters, is the test of purity. Who or what will we be devoted to? Who or what will we obey? Who or what will we submit to in our work, in our families, in our ministries? Will it be the lies and lust of the world and the hearts of this world, or will it be the glory of God? It's a very, very simple choice, brothers and sisters, but it's a choice that we encounter in every aspect of our lives. And how we respond to this choice reveals the purity of our hearts and our worship. Is our heart, is our worship about the Lord? And are we concerned about His glory and what He desires? Or is our life, our worship, our ministry about ourselves? And sooner or later, the Lord brings tests into our lives to show us where we stand. And in verse 8, Joseph makes his choice. It says, but he refused. And in Hebrew, the language that's used here is one of willful opposition and pushing back. Intentional resistance. Setting your heart against something. There is no contemplation with Joseph. There is no negotiation. There is no consideration, well, let me think about this. And there is no question. It is immediate rejection, immediate opposition. Why? It's because of what he believes, brothers and sisters. It's because of the truth that is in his heart. It's because of the God who is present. What is it that sustains purity in difficult times? And it's faith in the purity and the presence of God. And this is what we see with Joseph. In verse 8, he refers to Potiphar as my master. He's making a point. What do I believe? I believe that Potiphar, not you, is my master. He's the one who I owe allegiance to. And then in verse 9, he refers to this woman as, you are his wife. You're not my lover. You're not a mistress. You're not even someone who can tell me what to do. And we see what impure hearts do, brothers and sisters. Impure hearts come to us. They are predatory, and they turn everything upside down. They turn all our relationships upside down. They call evil good and good evil. They reverse everything, and they make this play. And they do so in order to put a hook into our hearts. But for Joseph, what is it that sustains the purity of his heart? 
Well, he sums it up. How is he able to maintain perspective? How is he able to see through this? Who these people really are? Well, he sums it up in a single question, which reveals his belief and his conviction. Verse 9, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Brothers and sisters, where does the power come from to resist evil? Where does the power come from to persevere in what is right and true according to God's word, even if it's going to cost us our job, our friends, our relationships? Well, we see here with Joseph, it comes from a pure heart that is devoted entirely to God. It comes from a pure heart that loves and fears God more than men or the people in our room or our employers or our spouses or our family members. It comes from a pure heart that believes God's word and it believes God's promise that God loves us and he is literally with us, even if we can't physically see him. And because of Joseph's conviction, his belief in the promise given to his forefathers, his belief in God that God is good for his word, his belief that the Lord is king, it's because of this he's able to see clearly that any deviation from God's holiness essentially is an act of betrayal and infidelity to one person and one person alone, the Lord. Do we look at our sin that way, brothers and sisters? When temptation comes, are we able to see, rather than the pleasure at hand, are we able to see that what's being offered to us is an opportunity to be unfaithful to the God who has loved us and saved us for himself? Infidelity and betrayal. And then we get surprised and we get horrified when a man leaves his wife, when a man leaves his children, when people break these relationships and we're in shock, and yet you pull on that thread and you look back and you say, look, at the heart of this, when we look back, it's pretty clear that there's been a trail of infidelity for a long way going. It's just nobody cared because it was infidelity to God. We get concerned when it's a family left holding the bag. And David understood this. He appreciated this only after God brought conviction into his life. And in Psalm 51, that's why he begins his prayer of repentance after he's committed adultery, saying, Lord, against you and you alone have I sinned. And he begins to see his sin for what it truly is, a great wickedness and sin against God. What's the flip side, brothers and sisters? Well, first... What would we say, think, or do if we literally believe, brothers and sisters, that God is with us and that he's in the room with us, even in the darkest of times? Even if other people were in the room, we probably wouldn't do many of the things that we think or do. But here's the good news. What courage, what confidence to resist temptation would we have, brothers and sisters, to stand for what is right, to not be swayed at what the cost is. If we really believe God's promise that he is literally with us and he is for us and the one who is standing at our side is the sovereign creator of the universe. Well, that's what enabled David to confront Goliath with a series of stones, right? 
he was able to see very clearly who it is who was standing by his side. And who it was who stood by his side was significantly greater than the problem at hand. And this is why Jesus says in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And this, brothers and sisters, is what makes Joseph steadfast and immovable. It's the power of God's purity that enables him to see God's presence by faith in the midst of the darkness. In verse 10, it says, And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. And here Moses draws a connection between who or what we listen to and what we draw close to. We don't think of that, do we, brothers and sisters? Who and what we listen to and what we draw, draw close to. And this is just like the Garden of Eden, where who or what we listen to will either draw us closer to God or it will draw us closer to sin. What do we consider? What do we think about? What do we weigh in our hearts? Who are the people who speak into our lives and who is the loudest voice in our life? And this is why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians and in Colossians exhorts Christians, he says, be wise because the days are evil. Be wise because the days are evil. You're going to have all this garbage pumped into you. You're going to have people pulling your ear in every which way. And what does he exhort them to do? How do you be wise because the days are evil? He says, be filled with the Spirit and be filled with the Word of Christ. That your heart is so filled with the good things of God and the testimonies of His love for you and the promises that He is actually keeping in your life that there's no room to listen to all this garbage that is out there. Brothers and sisters, where does the power and discernment come from to reject the relentlessness of the lies and lusts of this world? Moses makes that point. This woman is relentless day after day after day after day. If you think you're going to run away from trouble, brothers and sisters, you're going to be running for a long time because it does not stop until it is satisfied. And even then, it does not stop because it goes on to the next lust and the next lie. And it's a bottomless pit. Where does the power come from to reject it? Where does the power come to resist? comes from a pure heart, brothers and sisters, that knows and that believes and delights in the truth that God is with us and that our eyes and our hearts and our ears and our bodies belong to Him. And because of that, brothers and sisters, and because of the joy and delight that every aspect of our lives, our family, our work belongs to Him, there is no room and there is no desire to be with anything or anyone that would draw us away from Him. Brothers and sisters, we spend time with those we want to be with. And when we enjoy being with someone, we are more than willing to tell everybody else, don't got time for you, right? Those first days of dating, suddenly all your single buddies not seeing them for a while. Why? Because there's someone you desire to be with. And brothers and sisters, where Joseph is at and what sustains him is his faith, a gift of God, his confidence and conviction 
that God is with him, that God's promises are true, but also through faith, his joy and delight and pleasure in being with God, so much so that he will not listen or do anything that is going to take him away from God. But because of that, brothers and sisters, faith inevitably separates because it is a faithful love to a faithful God. And it is faithful regardless of the cost. And this brings us to our final point for this morning. Faith in the power of God's purity separates from sin and helps save sinners. Faith in the power of God's purity separates from sin and helps save sinners. This is what the Lord God shows us in verses 11 through 20. When Joseph, by faith, does not give Potiphar's wife what she covets and desires... And as is always the case with idolatrous and fleshly people, when they don't get what they want, all hell breaks loose. And we see the reaction because idolatry and lustful hearts are all about pride. And so she's shamed and she's embarrassed. So what happens? Well, Potiphar's wife goes on the warpath and she seeks to destroy every aspect of Joseph's life. And she does it by deception. And she takes everything that she is and she throws that on Joseph. He's an attempted rapist. He's a deceiver. He's making fun of me. He's mocking all of these things. She basically does a complete character assassination. And quite frankly, brothers and sisters, if we're honest, these are the things that we do when we can't get what we desire to control or have for ourselves. And yet God's promise in 1 Corinthians 10.13 is true for Joseph. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That you may be able to endure it. God doesn't give us more than we can handle, brothers and sisters, if you're a child of God. And he always will provide a way of escape so that you can endure the testing that comes your way. And what was God's way of escape for Joseph that separated Joseph from sin and kept him pure? It was a ticket to an Egyptian prison. Now, sometimes the way of escape, brothers and sisters, is not what we'd hope for. We think of a way of escape as that ticket to Hawaii. Well, Joseph gets one to an Egyptian prison. And one more time, Joseph loses everything that this world has to offer. But it doesn't matter, does it? Why? Verse 21, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. It doesn't matter because Joseph has the Lord. And he has his love. Now, does that mean he doesn't struggle with being in prison? You go on and read, he does. And in fact, he stays in that prison for another two years. And in fact, when others get released, he says, hey, when you get out, don't forget about me. Help me get out of this place. He doesn't want to stay in that dungeon and pit. It's not like his life is not difficult and he's not having a hard time. But nonetheless, what matters most, the greatest treasure of all, the presence of God, the presence of God's purity, the presence of God's love in his life, this is what Joseph has. And this is what sustains him in that prison for the next two years. 
And even more so, what we see through the rest of Moses' narrative is that, in fact, what the Lord does on the one hand is he separates Joseph. And brothers and sisters, if your heart is pure, you're going to trust in the Lord. This may come in your job. This may come in a relationship. This may come with family members. If your heart is going to be entirely devoted to the Lord, if your joy and delight is his presence in your life, sooner or later, a wedge is going to be driven between you and anything or anyone who's pulling in the opposite direction. And the Lord will bring separation. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Friendship with God is enmity with the world. That's the way it's going to go. There's going to be a collision course with that. But that is not the end of the story because we see that it is through the purity of Joseph's heart that God has given him. It is through his faith that the Lord enables Joseph to forgive his brothers and not be bitter or discontent. Are there those of you who have been abused? Are there those of you who have been treated poorly or unkindly by family members or those close to you? Where does the power of purity come? And we don't think of it this way. We think it purely in sexual terms. But purity is anything, or excuse me, impurity is anything that is going to defile that love for the Lord. And it can be bitterness, brothers and sisters. It can be anger or frustration at those who have treated us poorly. How does Jesus on the cross say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? How does Joseph ultimately forgive his brothers? Well, he's able to say what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And it's the power of God's purity and God's faithfulness to his promises and God's presence in Joseph's life and God's love in Joseph's life that enables Joseph not to be defiled by discontent or bitterness in prison and outside of prison. And ultimately, the Lord uses his purity in Joseph's life to bring his stepbrothers to repentance, to receive forgiveness, to have reconciliation, and ultimately to save the entirety of his family, physically and spiritually. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is able to do the same in our lives. But we have to be mindful as we look at Joseph's life. The Lord pulls no punches. There is a very steep price for purity, brothers and sisters. There's a very, very steep price. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think we would admit that this is a price that we struggle to be willing to pay. Are you willing to lose a job over it? Are you willing to lose a relationship over it? Are you willing to lose family members over it? And more often than not, brothers and sisters, if we're honest with ourselves, we would say no. And that's because we don't have pure hearts. But this is why the Lord God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. Someone greater than Joseph. Why did he send his son into the world, brothers and sisters? He sent Jesus in because we're not pure. And he sent Jesus in to be with us. And to pay the price that we cannot or are not willing to pay. He sent his son in to be forsaken by God the Father on the cross. He sent his son in to receive the curse that we deserve, to be cut off. So that we might be separated from sin. For what purpose? It's one. To be with him. 
And so that's why Matthew, in Matthew 1, 21, writes, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And that salvation, brothers and sisters, is a salvation and a deliverance from the wrath of God, but it's also separation. And then in Matthew 1, 23, Matthew writes, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And Jesus' command, whether it be repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or come follow me and I will make you fishers of men, or abide in me. When you go through in, in simplicity, all Jesus is giving as a command is for you to be with who? Him. And brothers and sisters, this is the gospel, that the God who came to be with you calls you to be with him. And if you go through Matthew over and over and over again, Jesus gives that command to his disciples, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. What's the provision for our purity, brothers and sisters? It's to be with Christ, the one who is pure. Because he has come to be with us. What is it that sets us free? It's being with Christ. But here's the price, brothers and sisters. To be with Christ, to follow him, we have to be willing and able to let go of anything that pulls us away from him. And that's worth asking the question, what is it in our lives that keeps us from walking with Christ? It can be a ministry. It can be a pulpit. It can be friends. It can be family members. What is it, brothers and sisters, that keeps us from walking in obedience and faith with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And more importantly, how do we let these things go? How do we separate? Well, brothers and sisters, we can't do it by ourselves. And you look at the patterns of our lives. That's why we end up listening to or being with or doing the same things over and over again. But here again, Jesus shows us it's by faith in him. It's by the power of his purity, not ours. It's belief that Jesus is who and what God says he is. This is what we've been going through in FOF. And what is it, brothers and sisters, that builds our faith in Christ, that enables us to see clearly who he is and what he is doing in our lives, that enables us to see how much he loves us, that enables us to see his promises being made alive in our day-to-day -day moments? Brothers and sisters, it's listening to him and his word. It's the gospel. It's the good news of what God has done to save sinners through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is why, brothers and sisters, Paul exhorts those churches that are struggling and Peter, those churches that are going through persecution and the book of Hebrews, they say, listen, listen, listen. Pay close attention. Don't neglect this great salvation that you've been given because our propensity when trouble comes, brothers and sisters, is we drop everything. And this is me. I'm trying to avoid the pain, avoid the conflict. What do I need to do to appease? What do I need to do to fix this? And I'm so busy trying to fix the problem, my eyes have been taken off of who? The one who loves me, the one who died for me, the one who saved me, and the one who is with me. Brothers and sisters, this is why Jesus talks to us 
about washing us with his word. This is why Jesus talks to us about abiding in his word. This is why Jesus talks to us about prayer. All of those things, why do they exist? He's merely calling us to focus on him and to listen to him and to spend time abiding with the one who abides with us. And as believers living in an impure world, brothers and sisters, we get covered by dirt daily. And even worse, Satan like all predators, sexual or otherwise, is relentless in trying to defile us. And what is the primary way that sexual predators and predators try and have their way with the weak and vulnerable? It's the same game plan for thousands of years since the beginning of time. From the serpent to Potiphar's wife to those who take advantage, they try and get you alone. They find some way to seduce you, to butter you up or flatter you, to get to the point where they can get you alone, to have their way with you, and then they intimidate and pray in the fact that you are weak. There's no one you can talk to. You are alone. Brothers and sisters, the Satan's greatest play for you, especially if you're a child of God, is to convince you in trials and tribulations and when things are hard and things aren't going your way, that God doesn't care about you when you are alone. And what is God's provision and protection for his children? It's the power of his purity and his promise in Christ. Matthew 28, 20. And behold, I am with you when? Always to the end of the age. Romans 8, 38 and 39. What will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ? Jesus our Lord. Absolutely nothing, not heaven nor hell. And brothers and sisters, this is why we listen to his word. And it is the power of his purity that brings us to repentance and gives us power to separate from sin and separate from the noise to be with him. And this is why the author of Hebrews, he writes to the people who are just going through terrible persecution. And what does he write to them in Hebrews 13, 5? He says, keep your life free from the love of money, Why? Because when we're having a hard time, I want that ticket out. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Hebrews 13, 5, it says, For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, brothers and sisters, the holidays are coming up. And this is a time where people, when they're sick or they're separated from family or you're not working, this is a particular time where you can feel vulnerable and alone. And this is a time where Satan comes in and preys on you with all the movies and all the things that are there and all the lies of the world of how happy you're supposed to be. And when you're having a rough time, it's like, shh. Let me exhort you to take some time this holiday season. First, to read through all the promises that Jesus has given you if you're a child of God that he is with you. Second, to be thankful for it and celebrate that even though you feel alone or the world is against you or things are hard, to be thankful of the reality of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Third, consider praying or ministering to others who are struggling. And the greatest ministry you can do is to point someone to the reality that they are not alone, but Christ is with them. And of course, brothers and sisters, most importantly, If you do not know this Savior, you are alone. 
But he has come and he has given his life so that through repentance and faith in him, you don't need to be alone, that Christ is with you until the end of the age. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your pure love for us, regardless of what this world throws at us. At the end of the day, you will never leave nor forsake those who belong to you. Help us, Lord, never to forget these things. Help us, Lord, to separate and refuse to listen to the devil's lies so often in so many different ways that he attempts to make us feel weak and vulnerable and alone. And we are all of those things, but what's missing, Lord Jesus, is you are not. And may we celebrate this and give thanks for this. And may we share this, Lord, with a world that so desperately needs you. In your name we pray, amen.